Ten years ago, as we were about to publish a book called Freakonomics, we decided to start a companion website. It was called, unimaginatively, Freakonomics.com. The site happened to offer a blogging function. Levitt, who's always a few years behind, had never heard of a blog, much less read or written one. I explained the idea. Levitt remained unconvinced. Let's just give it a try, I said. It was so early in our partnership that Levitt hadn't yet come to understand that those six words were my way of getting him to do all sorts of things he never intended to do. So we gave the blog a try. Here is the first post we wrote. Unleashing our baby. Every parent thinks he has the most beautiful baby in the world. Evolution, it seems, has molded our brains so that if you stare at your own baby's face day after day after day, it starts to look beautiful. When other people's children have food clotted on their faces, it looks disgusting. With your own kid, it's somehow endearing. Well, we've been staring at the Freakonomics manuscript so much that it now looks beautiful to us. Warts, clotted food, and all. So we started to think that maybe some people would actually want to read it and, after reading it, might even want to express their opinions about it. Thus, the birth of this website. We hope it's a happy, or at least happily contentious, home for some time to come. And it has been a happy home. Our blog writing tends to be more casual, more personal, more opinionated than how we write our books. We're just as likely to float a question as to give a concrete answer. We've written things we only thought halfway through and later regretted. We've written things we did think through, but also later regretted. But mostly, having the blog gave us good reason to stay curious and open about the world. Unlike that first post, the vast majority of the blog entries were written by just one of us, not the pair, as in our book writing. We sometimes asked friends and even enemies to write for the blog. We've held quorums, asking a bunch of smart people to answer a tough question, and Q&As with people like Daniel Kahneman and a high-end call girl named Allie. For several years, the New York Times hosted the blog, which gave it a veneer of legitimacy that wasn't quite warranted, but the Times eventually came to its senses and sent us off to do the thing we do once more on our lonesome. All these years, we routinely asked ourselves why we kept blogging. There was no obvious answer. It didn't pay. There wasn't any evidence the blog helped sell more copies of our books. In fact, it may have cannibalized sales since every day we were giving away our writing. But over time, we realized why we kept at it. Our readers liked reading the blog, and we loved our readers. Their curiosity and ingenuity, and especially their playfulness, have kept us at it. And in this audio program, you will hear ample evidence of their spirit. Occasionally, a reader would suggest that we turn our blog writing into a book. This struck us as a colossally dumb idea. Until one day, not long ago, it didn't. What changed? I was dropping off one of my kids at summer camp in Maine. In the middle of nowhere, we came upon a huge Poland Spring water bottling plant. Having grown up in the middle of nowhere myself, I had always thought it strange that so many people would pay good money for a bottle of water and yet they do, to the tune of roughly $100 billion a year. Suddenly, a book of blog posts didn't seem so dumb. So, in the tradition of Poland Spring, Evian, and other hydrogeniuses, we have decided to bottle something that was freely available and charge you money for it. 
To be fair, we did go to the trouble of reading through the whole blog and picking out the best material. It was gratifying to find that among 8,000 mostly mediocre posts, we actually had some good ones, we edited and updated the posts as necessary, arranging them into chapters that make book sense. Chapter one, for instance, we were only trying to help, addresses the abolition of academic tenure, alternatives to democracy, and how to think like a terrorist. Limberhand the Masturbator and the Perils of Wayne is about names that are strange, fitting, or strangely fitting. And the chapter When You're a Jet shows that once you start thinking like an economist, it's hard to turn it off, whether the subject is baby formula, animated films, or rancid chicken. Along the way, you will learn more than you ever wanted to know about our personal obsessions like golf, gambling, and the dreaded penny.